You're listening to the Magnum version of the Savage Lovecast. www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. I didn't open last week's show with a short list of all the things I'm thankful for. My bad. For the record, friends, family, impeachment proceedings, Magnum subscribers. But it's just as well I didn't get to my list last week before the show because my list grew over the weekend. In addition to family, friends, impeachment proceedings, Magnum subscribers, actually all my listeners, Magnum or not, I am thankful for three good girls and one bad man that I read about this weekend. First up, the girls. A substitute teacher in Utah at Deerfield Elementary, a public school in Cedar Hills, suburb of Salt Lake City, this substitute teacher asked a room full of fifth graders to take turns sharing something they were thankful for. The sub, sub in this context is a reference to substitute teacher, of course, and not the subs we usually talk about on this show. Anyway, the sub was doing what subs do best, killing time. Most of the kids said they were thankful for turkey or mashed potatoes or pie, but one kid, an 11-year-old boy, shared something meaningful, something he was truly thankful for this year. He was happy his two dads were going to legally adopt him. The sub snapped, why would you be happy about that? And then unleashed a torrent of anti-gay abuse. Homosexuality is wrong. Two men living together is sinful. Being adopted by sinners is nothing to be thankful for. And this boy, oh, my heart aches. This poor kid shut down because he'd been through two failed adoptions already. And he was worried that his dads might change their minds about adopting him if they found out what happened at school. And this is where the three girls come in. According to the Salt Lake Tribune, three girls in that classroom told the sub to shut the fuck up more than once. And when she didn't, when she continued to berate this poor kid who was looking forward to finally having a permanent home, these three girls walked out of that classroom, went straight to the principal and demanded that the principal do something. And this is how we know it was a public school in Utah. The principal did something. The principal rushed to the classroom, fired the sub on the spot, and escorted her from the building. Those three girls, so thankful for them. Whoever raised them, they raised them right. Sticking up for the kid with gay parents can't be easy in Utah, not even in a public school. And the bravery those girls showed, truly inspiring. Also kind of perversely thankful right now for a bad man. I'm grateful to Father Eric Dudley, a hero to religious conservatives everywhere, for proving yet again that the loudest anti-gay voices in the room, the most vocal anti-gay bigots, are, to put it delicately, almost always externalizing an internal conflict, to put it indelicately, gargling cum. Father Dudley is the founder of St. Peter's Anglican Church in Tallahassee, Florida, founded it in 2005. And when you hear about the founding of the church, well, you could say that Father Dudley has a flair for the dramatic. Or you could say that Father Dudley is a bit of a drama queen. Take it away, Tallahassee Democrat. Dudley served as rector of St. John's Episcopal Church from 1995 to 2005 when he announced from the pulpit one Sunday morning he was leaving to start a new church over what he called deeply unrepentant heresies in the Episcopal Church. Those heresies, are you sitting down? Ordaining openly gay priests and bishops. Can't have that because homosexuality is a sin, says Father Dudley. Sick, 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 sick and sinful. And so, so wrong. 
And we all know where this is going, don't we? According to the results of an internal investigation, Father Dudley was subjecting aspiring priests and young men to sexual misconduct and harassment, showering young men with attention and gifts and jobs at the church, even as he publicly espoused anti-gay views, even as, and also luring young men into hotel rooms where they would find one king-size bed, which Father Dudley would then blame on the hotel. There was a mistake. He asked for a room with two beds. And then in the middle of the night, he would sexually assault them. If there's anything we should all know by now about the loudest anti-gay bigots, particularly the religious ones, it's that they can't be trusted alone in a hotel room with a hot seminarian. Not any more than they can be trusted, it seems, in a classroom full of fifth graders. And just as I'm thankful for those girls for sticking up for their classmate, I'm thankful for Father Dudley for the always timely reminder that anti-gay bigots, and there are so many of them in public life still, are the real sickos. All right, coming up on today's show on the micro edition of the Savage Lovecast, tons of your cues, lots of my A's. And on the magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to at savagelovecast.com, that show is twice as long and has no ads and more guests. A reader, a reader who did a deep dive on all of my columns, all of my letters of the day, joins us to share what she learned after reading everything I've ever written about anything. Hey, Dan, I'm a cisgender white male. Uh, 38 years old, uh, recently single, and I went on a date with a woman about last week and had one of the best dates I've ever had in my life. It was charisma, like we got along uh, mentally, there was good banter, we did a bunch, had a lot of things in common and everything like that. The next day she messaged me, telling me that she would love to hang out again the following week, but she had to be straightforward with me. She doesn't feel that romantic spark, that, you know, thing that you need but she thought I would be a great friend and she spent all day trying to figure out if she wanted to actually try to go on another romantic date with me, but she doesn't feel that she can get that spark if she doesn't have it initially. I'm a pretty open-minded guy. I do have a lot of female friends, but I'm trying to decide if it's worth going out with somebody that I'm clearly into more than they are uh, just as friends, or if I should just walk away and maybe reapproach the subject whenever I'm in a relationship and I might not find for her as much because it's hard for me to find somebody I have a connection with, with this many common interests and banter. And I don't know, part of me wants to say, yes, let's be friends. I had a great time. Let's continue this. Another part of me says, I don't want to be that guy that pines over somebody who we all know someone who has. Uh, straight people, um, gay people, everyone has that friend they know is pining over someone that they're never going to get with. <laughs> so do you have any advice what I should do in this situation? Should I just walk away? Should I give it time and maybe try to approach being friends? Or just be friends and see what happens? Oh man, that sucks when it's the best date that you've been on in ages or ever. And it clearly isn't the best date they've ever been on in ages or forever. That sometimes happens. Sometimes people don't reciprocate our feelings for them, you know, after years together, feelings can die, or, you know, after a couple hours together, feelings just aren't there. You weren't looking for a friend. You weren't looking for a new friend. You have friends. You went out on a date with this woman because you're interested in finding a romantic partner and you were very attracted to this woman you felt that spark and 
a friendship isn't what you were after. And a friendship, at least from your end, would probably be complicated, not by ulterior motives, because you sound like an honest, straightforward guy and you're not going into this friendship. You don't suggest you're going into this friendship in the hopes of leveraging out of her what you wanted from her in the first place or wanted after that date, which was a romantic relationship. You would be trying to downshift and and adjust your expectations and going into the friendship wanting a friendship. But that friendship would be perhaps painful for you or you would subconsciously have these ulterior motives and you would live in hope and you would be the person, as you say, pining after this friend. And yeah, that's not a recipe for a healthier functional friendship. Those friends we know who are in those compromised friendships, who've compromised for friendship, who pine for this person, those are rarely healthy relationships. And sometimes they're exploitative relationships where the person who knows they're being pined after is manipulating and exploiting the person who is pining after them for emotional support or just a a kind of romantic attention or affirmation that really the person doing the pining should be directing that attention and energy elsewhere. Even if they don't have anyone right now to direct it toward, they should be directing that energy toward finding someone else that they can direct that time and attention, romantic energy at. So yeah, you're not a bad guy. If somebody that you went on a date with that you felt that spark for didn't feel it and offers you a friendship and you decline because you have friends and that's not what you were after. You should be polite. If you run into this person, you are acquaintances. You've made each other's acquaintance, but you don't have to be friends and it probably wouldn't be a healthy friendship if you tried. And I'm sorry to say, because I'm an asshole, the offer of friendship may not have been sincere. It may have been the consolation prize at the end of what she knew was a good date for you, but wasn't a good date for her. Sometimes people say that, oh, it's not you, it's me. Let's be friends is sometimes a thing people say to let someone down easy. Like, I liked you. You were a nice guy. I didn't feel it. It may not be the case that she intends to make a lot of room in her life for you as a friend either. And she was just being kind. So the hand-wringing that you're doing about whether or not you should have this friendship may be a waste of time and effort and energy. Hello, Dan, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy at Excuse. I am a 30-year-old non-binary person in Central Europe, and I'm calling about a situation I'm trying to navigate, which is kind of new to me. I met a guy about two months ago on Tinder after temporarily moving to a new city for work, and we had sex on our second meeting, which was really amazing and fulfilling. A few days after having sex, he tells me that while he enjoyed it, he has also realized that there are certain personal issues he has not resolved and would prefer to put physical intimacy on hold and remain friendly for the time being. Over the past few months, we have gone to lunch, gone on walks, bowling, darts, gotten high and watched YouTube videos. I have met his friends and hung out with them independently. Uh, we've talked about our struggles with mental health and relationships, and he has been emotionally supportive during my time here and has really lived up to what he said about being friends. Recently, I've noticed he's initiated small acts of physical affection, such as touching my arm, playing with my hair, and generally reducing the personal space around us. Uh, he has invited me over to his house to sleep over twice. This last time, a few days ago, he asked me if we could cuddle before going to sleep, to which I agreed. We continued to cuddle even in the morning before I left, which is really nice, in and of itself, really tender and satisfying. My dilemma is this. 
I would like to continue escalating the physical affection, by which I don't mean necessarily having sex, but I don't know if it's my place, then he is the one who set the initial boundary. Because of the conversations we've had, I know he has a number of issues with intimacy, due in part to a couple of traumatic past relationships. If he's indicating he wants to escalate our physical intimacy, I definitely want to reciprocate. However, I want to be respectful of not feel, making him feel uncomfortable by, or possibly harming him by pushing him into physical intimacy he's not ready for. Any thoughts, Dan? There's nothing disrespectful about a direct question. He made a statement to you after that first time that you guys had sex that he wasn't interested in having a, a sexual relationship with you or wasn't in a place where he could have a sexual relationship right now but would like to have a friendship. And you guys pivoted. It sounds like you pivoted successfully to a friendship. And then he began to initiate physical contact with you, playing with your hair, reducing the space between you physically, inviting you to sleep over, inviting you to cuddle. He obviously wants some form of intimate relationship. He obviously has some kind of intimate relationship or intimate connection to you. And it is not bullying or unfair or pressury of you to say to him, I'm a little confused. I'm enjoying our friendship. I'm enjoying the intimacy that seems to be a part of our friendship. I would still be up for sex and still be up for, you know, more intimacy and sexual intimacy. And, and you know, it has been my experience in the past that when people cuddle, when people play with each other's hair, when people touch each other's arms, that they're also interested in sexual intimacy. If you're not, that's fine. I just need some clarity. That's not pressure. That's you using your words in the same direct manner that he used his words with at the start of your relationship. So you're confused. He's the one confusing you. Ask him for clarity. That's not pressuring him to do anything that he doesn't want to do. That's just, again, <laughs> seeking clarity. He's sending you mixed messages right now. Tell him you want one clear message. Hi, Dan. This is a gay male in early 30s living in a metropolitan area. I've been in a relationship with my boyfriend for about 10 months. A few months ago, we opened up a relationship and it's been pretty challenging. My boyfriend loves threesomes and he loves the idea of me having sex with other men. The problem is that it is hard to find someone that, it, that we are both into. You know, our types are very different. So up until recently, we decided to have a fully open relationship where we play separately. I am having a hard time dealing with it because I get jealous and I feel weird when he goes out and hooks up with other men. He wants to do it a few times a week and he loves to go out and party. Uh, when we go out on the weekends, his mission is to find a guy to hook up with, but sometimes I just want to come home and crash and go to sleep. When he goes out, he gets horny and he likes the idea of having sex with new guys to the point where sometimes he would invite guys over for sex while I'm there. So I sleep on the couch some nights while he's hooking up. I get sad because I don't feel like I'm his priority and he says that it's just sex and he just wants to get off. We share a lot of values together and I love being with him and he makes me happy. And most importantly, I see myself being with him. But because of this issue, I thought about breaking up. I talked to him many times about this issue and I want to handle it the best way possible, but I'm not sure how. Uh, he says he needs more and he's a very sexual guy. He says he loves being in a relationship with me and he loves the values we share. So, is it normal that he wants to have sex with other men multiple times a week, sometimes multiple times a day? 
what is the best way to handle this so that we can both be in a position that feels equal and content about being in an open relationship. Sexual compatibility is important, right? Yeah. And you guys don't sound sexually compatible. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have a sexual connection and that works. But when it comes to, you know, how to define your open relationship and what's allowed in your open relationship when it comes to non-monogamy, it really doesn't sound like you two are on the same page. And you gotta be. You know, monogamy is one thing and everybody understands what that is. You know, here are two people. They only have sex with each other. They're in a long-term committed relationship. Non-monogamy, here are two people. And then what? Well, there's all sorts of different forms of non-monogamous relationship can take. It can be DADT. It can be, you know, no, nobody we know, not in our city. There can be all sorts of, of rules and, and, and limits. And it sounds like you would like some rules and limits that result in fewer outside contacts and, and more focus on each other. And he just wants to have sex with everybody in the city where you live. And that's going to be an engine of conflict in your relationship that unless he is willing to dial it way the fuck back is going to ultimately explode your relationship. Mm -hmm. I mean, just logistically having sex multiple times a week or multiple times a day with other people is going to eat up so much of his time, mental, physical, and sexual energy that there's not going to be much left for you. How long have you two been going out again? Uh, like almost a year. And how much sex do you two have if he's having sex with multiple people a day or multiple people a week besides you? Uh, we have it pretty regularly, maybe five times a week. So, so he's a very sexual guy Mm -hmm. and and he likes new partners and he likes the, the hunt. It sounds like, and you, you live in a place I'm guessing where there's a lot of sexual opportunity. But how do you feel about that? Uh, I mean, we're trying to work it out and see um, what the right balance is. And uh, he's been trying to see, you know, what the right balance is for him, too. And, um, I mean, it's pretty recent, pretty new where, where we stand. Yeah. It's pretty recent that you opened the relationship. Yes. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. relationship was closed and successfully so for, yeah. how, for how long? Uh, like a good maybe eight, nine months. Yeah. Okay. So I will allow for the possibility that he's kid in the candy shopping this right now. Yes. And he also came out pretty late, uh, late in life. So it's pretty recent for, it's been maybe five years since he came out. So he sort of, um, kind of want to also experience more. And is enjoying the attention and affirmation. I think so. And you've been out for longer and you've gotten plenty of attention and affirmation and you're a bit chiller. Yeah. Yes. But how does it make you feel when you go out with him and he immediately turns his attention from you to like finding some other guy to go home with or bringing some other guy to your place? Uh, it, I mean, it bums me out. Yeah. Cause it excludes you. Yes. I feel sometimes. Yeah. Cause you're not attracted to the same types. That's why having three ways wasn't successful. Correct. And so the guys that he's attracted to aren't attracted to you and vice versa. 
And so you're sort of outside of his sexual adventures. These aren't adventures you're on together. You're also not a cuckold. So it's not like really hot for you to be excluded. It's not like active erotic exclusion. It's just the afterthought and being set aside. That's correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't see how that's going to be anything but an engine of uh, of pain for you unless – you know, he puts a, a limit on the uh, how often this happens with other people, or it becomes a DADT. And one of the benefits of DADT in a situation where you know the people my partner is attracted to aren't attracted to me, and vice versa, is for it to be successfully don't tell. You can't do it all the time. You can't do it constantly. You can't do it in front of your partner's face. You can't go out with your partner and pick up somebody else because that's a tell, right? So mm-hmm. it, it imposes mm-hmm. certain limits. That, that that require a certain degree of discretion and consideration for your partner's, you know, ability to live in that bubble of not denial about the fact that you're in an open relationship, but, you know, to, to live in the don't tell bubble where I'm not being told all the time and I'm not having to think about it all the time and I'm not being – I'm not feeling neglected because I don't feel like anything's being taken away from me because I'm not being ditched in a bar for him to go home with somebody else mm-hmm. or sent to the my room while he has sex with somebody else in my living room. Yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, yeah, I mean, it bums me out, but um, I also want to give him the freedom of what he wants to do, and I feel like I should be more accepting of being an open, but it's been a little Yeah, challenge. but there, there, wait, no, no, no. You can be accepting of being open, yeah. but not, being, not accept this degree of inconsideration. Like, you're allowed to have feelings, yeah. and you're allowed to say, this pace... This amount of outside sexual contact, this, you know, these numbers make me feel bad, make Mm -hmm. me feel unvalued, make me feel undesirable, make me feel, you know, and and I'm the guy who tells people all the time, you're not enough. Like, oh, I feel inadequate. Well, you should because no no one person is enough for any other one person and everyone, you know, settling down requires some settling for. I'm the not enough guy. No one is enough, right? But you know, you don't yeah. want your partner to to behave in such a way that makes you feel like not just like you're you have some inadequacies. We all have inadequacies, but you have you bring nothing to the table, or you can never meet their needs, mm-hmm. or they require platoons of other partners. Do you guys live together? No, we don't. But we spend a lot of time together. And so how is it that if you guys don't live together, he's bringing people to your apartment? Oh, it's more like when we go out and then we come back together, he just starts looking um, for the guys and he just, and then I just want to go to bed sometimes and he just kind of just randomly invites people and does it. Yeah. Maybe he needs to be single right now. Mm -hmm. Like you guys can be friends and maybe you can circle back in a year or two. If he needs to, you know, go through an enormous slut phase and being the partner of someone going, and you know, we've all, you know, most gay men have their big slut phases, particularly gay men in big cities. If he needs to go through this, he may need to go through this to, to experience this alone and, and single mm-hmm. so that he isn't you mm-hmm. know, pushing your feelings or pushing you through a wood chipper in the process. And, and that's, mm-hmm. not, you know, you say you share values and you have a good time together and you really like each other. You can, you know, connect with somebody emotionally and look at them and say, just, you know, where we're at, at the stage in our lives, we're not right or good for each other at this moment. 
So you need to go off or go to med school or go have your big slut phase or, you know, you've always wanted to travel the world and backpack around the world for two years and I'm holding you back from that. Go do that and then let's see where we are in two years or a year. Mm -hmm. And if we can part Mm -hmm. now without a lot of anger or recrimination with just this kind of sad acknowledgement that like right now isn't the time for us, then we might be in a place to pick this back up in 12 months. But if we keep pushing this, if we keep grinding away now, you know, it's going to explode. And then there will be no circling back in 12 months or two years or 24 months, which, you know, when you're young, sounds like an eternity. Mm -hmm. But when you're as old as I am, does not sound like an eternity. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. He's asking you to endure a lot. Like, like an open relationship is a negotiation and it requires compromise, right? Everything around, you know, the numbers of outside contacts to who those outside contacts can be in our apartment, not in our apartment, people I know, people I don't know, people in our time zone, not in our time zone. And it has to be something that both people agree to for their own sense of not just sexual safety and physical safety, but also emotional safety, emotional comfort, and you're in a place right now where the amount of sex he has with the amount of people that he has sex with leaves you feeling not good, emotionally unsafe in your relationship and devalued in your relationship. Mm-hmm. And so he's either going to have to adjust or you're going to have to call it off for now. That doesn't mean call it off forever. Mm-hmm. And let him have him his come springa. If that's the issue, that he only came out recently and he never had this like – tear through the city, tear through every ass in town stage. Let him go have his cum springa. And then when he's done with that, which doesn't mean he'll be like ready for monogamy, but when he's done with this pace, this number of guys addicted to grinder, addicted to going out multiple partners a day, when he's done with that, then he might be ready for a relationship with you. But right now he's not. Okay. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, no, no, no that's fix. great. No, this is very helpful. No, this is really helpful. I just, um, it's just nice to hear from you. And, um, it's been, um, yeah, no, I think it all makes sense. And, um, thank you for the great advice. You're welcome. Good luck. Hi, Dan. Um, I have like a moral question about a dating app issue. So I recently matched with a guy on Tinder and we made plans to meet up within like the next week or so. And about two and a half hours before we met up, he was like, well, this doesn't really matter anyway, because you're probably going to ghost me after we meet up. And I said, well, why would I ghost you? And he said, because I don't look the same as I do on my profile because I've been sick. So I asked him to send me like a current picture of him. And I just wasn't attracted to him in the same way that I was in the profile. He did look a lot different, which sucks, but I told him I wasn't interested anymore. And he got pretty upset and said that like personality matters over looks and that he doesn't even want to hang out with me anyway if I don't believe that. So I guess I just want to know, like, do you think I'm in the wrong? Do you think I should have given him a chance? Or, I guess, should the pictures just be consistent in the first place to avoid that kind of confusion? Misleading, inaccurate, or ancient pics on a dating profile or hookup app are essentially a lie. You were lied to. 
So you were not in the wrong. He was in the wrong. If personality is what matters, then he should lead with accurate picks and lead with his personality. You don't put out a picture of Brad Pitt and Thelma and Louise and then get angry when you show up in your Dom DeLuise, who I'm sure you're all going to have to pause the show and go Google because nobody knows who Dom DeLuise is. Another 40-year-old pop culture reference. You're welcome. But yeah, you were not in the wrong. He was in the wrong. He had no right to be angry with you. At least he leveled with you before the meeting. Often people who use dishonest, misleading, or ancient pictures will show up and put you in the uncomfortable position of having to reject them to their face. And that's a very manipulative thing to do because that's hard to reject somebody to their face. And and people who use old, misleading, inaccurate, or not their picks will often put somebody in the position of having to do that. Hoping that they won't follow through, hoping that they'll go on the date or have the sex with them to avoid the awkwardness or unpleasantness of rejecting them to their face. So, yeah, no, you did nothing wrong. He did something wrong. As soon as he started to blow up at you, you had every right to block him. And I hope you blocked him now. Hi, Dan. I'm a 40-something-year-old cis hetero female in the southeast U.S., And I'm calling with a problem that I thought I would never have. I have been married twice and I've dated in between significantly. So I've experienced a lot of penises out there. (laughs) And um, so I'm at a point in my life where I was uh, open to love again, open to a relationship again. So I started dating this guy, super nice, just wonderful person and wanted to take it slow We actually have gone out on uh, seven dates and uh, hadn't done anything physically. So last night we did for the first time and I encountered something I've never seen before in person. He has the whitest cock I've ever encountered. Um, It would not fit. It maybe a third, maybe a fourth uh, went in. I have had no problems accommodating before. And I, (laughs) if I would have had slept with him like day one or two, I would not even, I would be scared and run away from it. Um, Just holding it is like, frightening because it's just overwhelming and again i've i've had my fair share of fun over the last several decades so i wanted to know if you had advice for me or especially your callers who have to accommodate significantly large men i'm i am ggg i like to explore everything he had said in the past that he'd only had anal once and at the time i thought oh poor thing And after seeing it, I thought, no, I get it. (laughs) I describe some men as having like hot dog, you know, hot dog. Some men have sausages. And this guy has a sweet potato. If you can imagine that it's like a sort of a normal tip and then it gets really wide. And then, oh, I I, I just don't even know what to do with it. Um, We're both in the medical field. So it's not pathologic. It's just he's on that bell-shaped curve of the upper end. So I would appreciate, besides the obvious silicone lube, relaxing, maybe a little substance to help me relax. Other than that, I would really appreciate your advice and your listener's advice. Thanks so much. 
We'll toss this one out to the listeners if there's anyone out there who has a partner or partners with super wide dick sticks up there at the far end of the bell curve. How did you learn to take them? How did you learn to work with or around them? I had a boyfriend once whose dick was impractical. It was too big. A dick can be too big. About all you could use his dick for was knocking out drywall during an apartment renovation. You couldn't really use it for intercourse, but it was great for outer course. It was great for frottage. You, you could clamp your thighs, your cheeks around it, and he could plow away. And there's this position you get in where you clamp your thighs around somebody's dick and then you if they're coming at you from behind and you put your hands down between your legs too and you get them very luby to cup the dick as it's coming between your thighs and it feels to the person who's penetrating your thighs with your their cock and your hands, it feels very much like intercourse if you get it nice and luby and wet and do it right. And for some people with giant fucking dicks, that's as good as they're going to get. That said... You know, a vagina can push out a human being. It can take a big dick. And there are certainly people who, in the butt bob, can take very large toys, fists, arms. It is possible. And the butt bounces back. If you take it slow and you learn how to relax the sphincter muscles, you can give him another anal sex experience. But you have to work up to it very slowly, gradually over time. You're not going to be able to sink your ass right down on that person's dick. But let's toss this out to the callers. Anybody else out there been with somebody over the long term who had a giant dick and you went from can't, couldn't, no way, not going to happen to yes, can, lots of ways. We make that happen. Give us a call. Let us know what you did, how you did it. 206-302-2064. Hi, Dan. I am a straight female in the Pacific Northwest, sort of recently single, I'm about a year out of a five-year LTR and have finally come into a place where I find myself confident, single, going out and doing new activities, hanging out with friends and building on those relationships, whilst also safely fucking whoever I feel like it and enjoying it. It's been a lot of fun. This year was really hard and I'm happy to be here. But my question has to do with my social life. I have a lot of married and LTR partnered off friends. And I spent a lot of time with them because they're cool and they seem like they have their lives together. And, you know, for some reason, partnered off people love hanging out with single people. But my question has to do with, like, protocol in these relationships. You know, I, having come out of a five-year long-term relationship, I'm looking back and registering why it didn't work out, what, what they did, what I did. Um, and I'm beginning to kind of overthink some of my friendships and their interactions between themselves and their partners. Uh, to better explain, um, sometimes people make underhanded comments about their partner in front of their friends that make their friends uncomfortable. Um, couples do a lot of annoying things that annoy the people that are around them, like bicker and fight. But this one specifically is about the underhanded comments or insults. Some of them are jokes about how, you know, they always forget, you know, to close the fridge door all the way. They always put the toilet paper on the roll the backwards way, you know, silly things that are just kind of funny. Um, but some of them are a little insulting. Um, one example is I was out with a couple 
who brought their toddler with them. And while the mother had all these activities for the toddler, anytime the father interacted with the toddler, if it got messy, the mom would shut it down and say to the toddler, daddy messed up. And I was really insulted by it because she said it a couple times and then the child repeated it, daddy messed up, and the guy just shut down. Um, And these people aren't close, close friends of mine. I don't know if I would ever say anything, but it was kind of an emotionally manipulative kind of shit move that this mother pulled. Um, And, you know, overall, I'm not just talking about like when your good friends bitch about their partner. We all need a safe place to vent. This is specifically when you see uh, emotional abuse, psychological abuse, and sometimes even gaslighting with people that you do care about, um, whether it be subtle or if it be extreme. Is there a protocol for outside parties to say anything, risking ending a friendship? No relationship is perfect. Every relationship has its issues. It's wonderful that you're happily single now. It's wonderful that you're out of a relationship that was causing you more grief than joy. But I can't imagine that your friends who are still in relationships would welcome your critiques or your input or your suggestions that they might want to get out of those relationships for the reasons that you're going to now list and itemize for them. You can be a friend to your friends. If there are serious red flag, if your friends are in emotionally or physically abusive relationships or their partners are just terrible people or neglecting them, you should, of course, speak up, make yourself available to them as a friend, hear them out, let them vent to you. But bursting in on a friend who's in a relationship and they're the normal stresses and strains and they're living their life and they're slogging through to inform them that they would be better off single for these reasons and pulling up your PowerPoint presentation about all the ways in which their relationship totally sucks and why they might want to get out and join you out here in singledom. Yeah, that's not going to end well for you. You're not going to be well received. Your input is not going to be welcome. Be there for them as a friend, but unsolicited advice, says the solicited advice guy, is often, almost always, unwelcome advice. Keep your own counsel until your counsel is requested. Hi, Dan. I'm a 25-year-old queer woman who, until recently, had only been attracted to and had sex with other women. But a month and a half ago, I started having a pretty fantastic fling with a bi guy. He's great about consent and communication and taking things at my pace, which has been really helpful because I don't think I'd even seen a dick in person before we started having sex. And when we started off, I told him right off the bat that I didn't ever really want to have his dick in my vagina for a number of reasons. I've always found penetrative sex painful. I'm not on birth control. And I guess mild trigger warning for listeners, I've also been sexually violated in the past. So it's not exactly something I was super excited to try. But we've done a lot of other hot shit and I've been toying with the idea of actually letting him put his dick in my vagina because I trust him and all the sex we've had so far has been great. But here's the thing. I recently found out that apparently he doesn't consider anything except penis in vagina to be sex. So like in his mind, we've played around and done sex adjacent things, but we haven't actually had sex. 
which is really fucking weird to me because in my mind, we've been having tons of sex. And especially as a woman who primarily has sex with other women, the idea that sex is only penis and vagina is like insulting. I don't know. It just seems like such a dumb, straight boy way of thinking. But again, he's bi and self-describes as non-vanilla. It just... Uh, we've talked a little bit about the linguistic disconnect between the two of us before, and we joke around about it, but it's honestly really starting to bother me. And since penetration is already kind of fraught for me to begin with, it's kind of making me not want to try it after all. I just, like, we've given each other multiple orgasms. I fucked him in the ass. He put his face all up in my vagina, which to me seems way more personal and intimate than his dick would be. So how is that not sex? I mean, to be honest, I'll probably get over it and we'll probably try it before this even airs because I'm very attracted to him and I'm curious to see how it is. So it's, I guess, not really that big of a deal, but I still want to hear what your take is on this anyway. What the fuck is the definition of sex? Or if I guess there are multiple definitions, how do you reconcile people having two different definitions of sex that don't align? What the fuck is the definition of sex? Well, I think the broader your definition of sex, the more sex you're going to wind up having. I've encountered people who insist that sex is just PIV, penis and vagina, that if there isn't vaginal intercourse, there wasn't sex. Sometimes I will point to my husband and say, there's Terry. He has never had vaginal intercourse. Are you telling me he's a virgin? Well, no, he's got, you know, he said PIA. That's the equivalent. Okay. Setting Terry aside. You walk in, there's your wife on her knees, sucking some man's dick. Is she cheating on you? Is she having sex with another man? Well, yes, she is. I imagine this bi guy who's into pegging, this bi guy who's eating your pussy, this bi guy that you're attracted to, this bi guy whose dick has probably by the time this air has already been in your vagina, knows he's being silly. And he's just throwing this out there, sex is vaginal intercourse, because vaginal may be for him the ultimate, the best kind of sex, the sex he desires most. And he's also throwing this around because it gets your goat and he's trying to be a playful pegged asshole about it. But I can't believe this bi guy whose ass you fucked doesn't think that when you fucked his ass that you two were having sex. Honestly, doesn't believe that when you were pegging him that that wasn't sex. That beggar's belief. That bugger's belief, actually. I think he's just, in addition to trying to get your pussy, trying to get your goat. And successfully so. Hi, Dan. This question is coming from a 25-year-old cis bi female in the Pacific Northwest. This question is about jizz in your mouth. (laughs) Not your mouth, but my mouth specifically, and just the how-tos with jizz. Basically, I get a little squicked out when jizz is in my mouth, and it's not something that I particularly want to be that way like I watch porn I have watched porn with cum getting in people's mouths and or on their tongues and stuff like that and I find it very arousing and I would love to be able to do that for my partner and he would also like that occasionally but it makes me really gaggy and it really squicks me out and I think to 
at this point, it's probably a little psychosomatic. Like I'm worried about that happening or um, I'm expecting that I will have a bad experience with it or that I'll retch or something. And I was just wondering if there was any tips that you might have on how I could maybe get over that a little bit or expose myself to it. I've thought about gradually exposing myself to it on my mouth or in my mouth. Maybe that's the best route to go about it, but I would really like to be able to do that at least occasionally for my partner and also maybe even sometime get to a point where it is something that I can enjoy too. Another factor to this is that when he comes, he comes a lot usually like ukake level come and so that in and of itself is like you know it's not just going to be a normal load it's going to be like a lot of jizz and um so i think that might be amplifying my hesitation towards it nobody likes guinness the first time they drink it guinness an acquired taste i think the same can be said for come you got to develop a taste for it the workaround for your boyfriend, though, if he comes a whole hell of a lot and you aren't used to somebody coming in your mouth and you aren't there yet, you haven't developed that taste for Guinness yet, is let him fire the first couple of volleys over your shoulder. If you're giving him a blowjob, he should pull out and those first few blasts, which are always the biggest blasts, let him fire them at your tits. Let him fire them at your neck. Let him fire them over the top of your head and then put his dick in your mouth for the final few and of lesser volume volleys of ejaculate and acclimate to that feeling and that sensation and learn to love it. But, you know, not everybody loves everything or has to love everything. Some people don't like that sensation of somebody coming in their mouth and, and never quite get used to it. Uh, and some people never develop that taste for Guinness. So the way to acquire a taste is to taste. And you can control for your boyfriend's volume, for the amount of ejaculate, by spreading it around. Don't take it all in your mouth. We're going to take a quick break from your calls to have a short conversation with a reader in Missouri, a dedicated reader, an almost fanatical and exhaustible reader in Missouri. <laughs> Catherine, you recently sent me a letter letting me know that you've done something that I don't think anyone else has done that I certainly myself <laughs> haven't done. You read the entire Savage Love archive. I did. 20 years. I did 20 years of letters. <laughs> 20 years of Savage Love letters of the day. 20 years mm -hmm. of Savage Love columns. Mm -hmm. <laughs> what possessed you to read my back catalog to do this deep dive? So I, I have a job that I enjoy a great deal, but it has a lot of downtime. I have, it's typically pretty busy at the beginning of the month. And then by the end of the month, there will sometimes be whole days where I really don't have much of anything to do. Um, and reading, I have some books and things on my phone, but reading on my phone, it's pretty obvious I'm not working. Um, but if I'm looking at my computer screen, it could be argued like <laughs> getting work done. Uh, so just over the last couple of years, it was kind of my go-to. If I didn't really have anything to do, I'd pull up the, you know, the Savage Love website archives and just sort of slowly worked my way back through time and read them all. And now I don't have any more and I'm kind of bummed because I don't have anything to fill my downtime. Like I, I crank out a column a week and four or five new Savage Love letters of the day every day. I'm trying to, to fill your insatiable need for my content. 
doesn't your workplace monitor your browser history though aren't they seeing all these savage love letters of the day and columns i mean i'm sure they are on some level i use the private window so it's a little bit less obvious uh and we you know it's a fairly sizable company they'd have to i mean like it's big enough that there's too many people that they'd be individually checking what we're doing. And it's too small of a company that they don't have like software to do that for them. Uh, and, and there so are worse things you that could do. Spot, yeah. Worse places you could go on the internet. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, sure. I mean, although I do have to say there are like, I'd say maybe three to five dick pics <laughs> throughout the archive. So I did have to kind of be careful to make sure that wasn't like sitting on my screen at any point. I just like <laughs> scroll it out of frame. So that no one would walk past and like see a huge dick. Okay. Um, but other than that, it was, it was, I mean, it actually worked out well because I could just scroll it. So it's just a block of text. So if anyone walked past, unless they really looked at it, it wasn't going to look like anything. It was just going to look like an article. There's a um, thing. So it worked out well. There's a thing I sometimes get called that I hate, which is sex expert. I'm not a sex expert. I have a lot of sex experts on the show. I have a lot of sex researchers sure. on the show. Lori Brodo, Meredith mm-hmm. Chivers, James Cantor. There's a lot of sex experts. Debbie mm-hmm. Herbetic. I have them on. I am not one of them. Yeah, I'm yeah. an advice columnist. Sure. People come on my show because they ask for my advice. If you look up advice in the dictionary, it says opinion about what could or should be done. The only qualification you need to yeah. be an advice giver <laughs> is somebody asked you for it. But you are a savage yes. love expert. You are an expert on my advice. <laughs> Because you've read the whole, you've read all of it and read it very recently. What did you glean? What did you learn? You as the savage love expert. I am now the expert. Yes. Um, a couple of things that like, you know, I sent you kind of the, the main bullet points, but to boil it down even further, I'd say kind of one of the, the biggest things is like, you have to be honest with yourself and you have to recognize that like you and, and the people you're with are, are probably not going to change a whole lot. <laughs> you have to really kind of take those two things and decide that, you know, you have to kind of make peace with, with both of them. You have to make peace with who you, who you are. First of all, a lot of people really have a hard time with that. Uh, and you have to make peace with the person that you're with. And if you're not supposed to be with that person. Um, and, and I feel like if you kind of can, can grasp those two things, that's kind of the essence of a lot of your advice. I feel it's like this person you're with is not going to change. You are not going to change. You have to figure out something, you know, with what your your kinks aren't going to go away. And your spouse who hasn't had sex with you in 10 years is not just going to start. Except when they do. Sometimes that's the thing. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't have sex with you for 10 years and then they decide they want to again. And that's really cool when that happens. But you can't count on that. <laughs> you sent me a little breakdown of the things that you gleaned uh, reading so many mm-hmm. Savage Love letters and columns <laughs> in such a short period of time. And number one on your list was sexual compatibility matters. Yes. Oh, my goodness. And I, I don't know if maybe this was a, that was the biggest one for me because, you know, I was raised that you should wait until marriage to have sex. And I mean, I sort of always suspected that was kind of a bad idea. And then now, especially now after reading 3000 plus Savage Love Letters, <laughs> it's a terrible idea. Do not wait to get married to have sex with the person you want to marry. That is the worst thing you can do because it matters. You, you need to know what you need and you need to know what they need. And you need to know if those two things are going to work out, if you can find a balance or if one of you is going to be miserable. You're both going to, you're both going to be miserable. If one person's miserable, you're both going to be miserable. You know, if, right. if your, your libidos are mismatched, if your kinks are mismatched, like there just isn't, 
it's not something you can fix. You can compromise to a point. You can make accommodations. We talk about accommodations all the time. If libidos are mismatched or or kinks are mismatched, accommodations can create a kind of compatibility patch. But if there's not sexual compatibility and there are no accommodations and no allowances, yeah, that is a recipe right. for misery and relationship collapse. Yeah. But, but you know, you you yeah. you could probably quote me chapter and verse on this. <laughs> you're, you're a, I actually, when I called you, you were listening to the podcast. You're a podcast listener and a dedicated reader. Yeah, sexual compatibility is just one of those things that I hammer away at that other people don't. I, I, yeah. I feel because yes. people get it into their heads that that sex is this dirty, awful thing. You know, we live in a sex-negative culture, and if you prioritize God, sexual compatibility, really not over but alongside uh, emotional compatibility yeah. or being on the same page yeah. around kids or religion or where you want to live, mm-hmm. that you're a you know yeah. a dirty sex-obsessed person. But if the Ugh, sex doesn't God. work, particularly yeah. if it's a sexually exclusive relationship, sexual yeah. incompatibility is, is a cancer that. It's going to kill your relationship. A hundred percent. I know. And you're, you're really right. It is. People think it's like, they think you're like, yeah, you're like sex obsessed or slutty or something. If you prioritize sex in your relationship, it's like, oh, sex doesn't, you know, and sure. Lots of other things are important too. Like we're not saying that sex is the only thing that matters. It just needs to be on the list. Like it needs to be on the list of things that you're looking for in a partner is someone that you can get off with for crying out loud at roughly the same frequency and in similar or, you know, accommodative ways. And unsurprisingly, it's amazing to me how many people don't. Yeah. Unsurprisingly, one of your other takeaways after reading 8 million savage love letters and columns <laughs> was chill the fuck out about cheating. Oh my God. Oh, which is really funny because the commenters really tore me apart for that one. And, and I do somewhat regret my phrasing on that. They, I, to, to be clarify, I was not saying chill the fuck out about cheating. If you have recently been cheated on and you're upset about it, that's not what I meant. If you've been recently cheated on and you're upset about it, feel your feelings. I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. <laughs> what I, I meant it more on like a societal systemic level. I feel like, I don't know, particularly in America, I'm sure lots of other places, but there's this, um, there's this like fantasy fairy tale idea that you're going to meet this one magical, perfect person and your attraction to everyone else is going to disappear. Their attraction to everyone else is going to disappear. You're going to be each other's one and only magical one person forever and ever. And it's going to be amazing. Your sex is going to be amazing. and It's all going to match up perfectly. And if you can't find that person, then you're destined to be alone forever or you're a failure. And it's such a toxic idea because that's impossible. <laughs> like, I mean, a, another thing I love about all of your letters is that you're not going to find the one you're going to find the, what is it, 6.4 that you can round up. Yeah. Like, the best you're going to do is pretty good, which is pretty good. Like, all of like the wonderful people that you partner with who aren't your perfect one magical person are still wonderful. Like, your relationship can be wonderful and great, even if they're not the only person in your life or the only person you've ever experienced attraction to. Like, that's nonsense. Yeah, if we set perfection as a standard of success for our relationships, our relationships are all going to fail. Pretty good is pretty good for a job, pretty good for an apartment, pretty good for a haircut, and we're pretty satisfied. But perfection for many people is the only acceptable standard for relationships, which is why so many people are dissatisfied. If you think about someone else and if you think about someone else while you're having sex with your partner, you're cheating on them. Good grief. Fall down. Oh my god. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like it's like talking to myself. You've read so many of my columns. <laughs> uh before I let you go, people are gonna wanna know 
You know, you've obviously, you know, gone to the Savage Love Madrasa. You've memorized all of my columns and podcasts and and the letters of the day. All the acronyms. Uh, (laughs) How you doing? You know, what's your relationship like? Are you partnered? Like when you put this into practice, (laughs) how's it going for you? I I am. Yeah, I was going to say, I have have a lovely, wonderful partner. Um, And actually, we have sort of... Not super. I mean, kind of all along in our relationship, we've kind of been very chill, chilled out about a lot of things. Um, but specifically, we're kind of thinking about being a little bit more monogamous and a little bit more open. And I think that was actually why I first started reading Savage Love. I was like, I kind of want some advice on maybe being open. I'm, I'm bi and I'm partnered with a man. And so I would love to explore kind of relationships with women. And so doing that in a in a ethical way that's supported by my partner is something. So I sort of like started looking for, for letters about threesomes and letters about people who are, who are ethically non-monogamous. And so that's something we're, we're We've thinking touched about on that topic once or twice into. in Savage Love over the years. Once or twice, yeah, 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 once or twice. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm really happy. I'm with a wonderful person who um, is, you know, very supportive of, of all of my now, my now extensive sex knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I feel very GGG and, you know, I'm, yeah, I, I, I owe, I feel like I owe a lot of that, you know, the ideas and the way I'm able to frame things now. Um, because, you know, obviously I grew up in this perfection culture and so jealousy is a, a thing I've had to work on myself. Uh, and so kind of, learning ways to frame that and to, to turn it back on, okay, jealousy is a thing that's happening inside my head that doesn't have to necessarily be because of things that are happening in real life, uh, if that makes sense. Um, right. And, and it's, it's not necessarily a disqualifier. It, you know, you've probably heard me right. talk about this. It's not a disqualifier. Mm-hmm. You're experiencing, you know, people in monogamous relationships experience jealousy. People in open relationships <laughs> experience jealousy. It's something yes. that, yeah. that that's telling you you need to Communicate with your partner, talk, process this feeling, ask to have your, your, your insecurities tended to and addressed. And, 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 you know, jealousy is something that is a, a sign that, that maybe there's an issue that needs to be resolved that can be resolved and, and not eternally resolved because it's going to, it's going to rise up again and again and again. And it's one of the ways your partner demonstrates their care and concern for you is that when you experience jealousy, they don't dismiss it. They don't treat you like you're betraying them or you're, you know, violating the rules of your open relationship. They address it constructively and in a way that helps you, you feel more when secure. You, in when I experience jealousy, it doesn't mean this is failing. This isn't going to work. The, you know, this means that he needs to change his behavior to make, you know, it, it means, yeah, it means the conversation needs to happen. I need to interrogate my feelings. Why am I feeling this? Is it because of an insecurity that I have? Or is it because of the situation or is it because of something But sometimes it does mean your partner needs to change mm-hmm. their behavior. Like, you know what? I'm feeling sure. insecure right now, so sure. I need to be prioritized. And sometimes it's just like I need to see yes. that when I mm-hmm. feel a need to be prioritized that you will prioritize mm-hmm. me. Even if it feels yeah. a little arbitrary at that moment, that mm-hmm. reassures me and makes it possible for our open relationship to continue to function. Yes. And that situation has actually happened. I had a thing where I was like having a little panicky moment. Where I was, I remember because it was last val, it was like a couple weeks before Valentine's Day, and I was like not feeling prioritized. I'm like, I feel like you do special things for other people and not for me. And he's like, he's like, I was gonna surprise you for Valentine's Day, but here, here is this like list of literally every single one of your favorite things that I have slowly been collecting that I was gonna surprise you with on Valentine's Day. And it was like, oh, okay, I'm not jealous anymore. I feel good now. <laughs> you know, like 
it literally like he immediately was able to like demonstrate that yes you're very important to me and yes I you know I prioritize you and so again I'm very thankful to be with a person who who we communicate well and and you know he he understands what what I need and I'm working to understand what he needs. <laughs> Catherine in Missouri, last question: Reading the entire Savage Love Archive is that something you would recommend to others? <laughs> You know what? If you have a lot of downtime at work, it is a great way to pass the time, I have to say. It's especially fun. I read it backwards. You kind of move back through time. You move like back into the Obama years and then back into the Bush years and you kind of see all of the terms and things evolve. So, I mean, yeah, I'd say if, you, if you've got the time, it's, it's a good read. <laughs> You're never bored. That's for sure. <laughs> thank you so much. It was a real pleasure chatting with you. And thank you for that letter. It, it made my day. Thank you for reading. Oh, good. Oh, doing so what, what what I would never do. You know, if you're a writer, you don't go back and reread your old books, your old columns, because it's just frustrating because you can't yeah. revise them. Um, so right. thank you for doing right. what, what I would never oh, do, partner. read my 20-year-old columns. <laughs> I loved it. Hey, Dan. So I am a cis hetero senior recalling from the Southeast. I was just at a wedding with my one of my girlfriends. Um, my husband could not attend because he was home with our baby. And... As the wedding was winding down, I found myself um, groped by one of my husband's friends and a coworker of his. Um, I'm friends with this gentleman's girlfriend, and I was so shocked by it. I turned around and I said, really? To which he did it again, and I put a knee in his crotch. Um, I, I walked away shaking. I texted my ride and said, I need you to come get me now. I was very flustered. I fired off a couple texts to my husband, to which he said, you know, I'm so sorry. We'll talk about it when you get home. And this was a couple days ago. I have not been able to get over it. I'm so angry. I want everyone to know. I texted him directly and said, what you did was so inappropriate. I can't believe that that happened. You made me uncomfortable. You embarrassed your girlfriend. I need an apology immediately to which he took two days to respond and said, well, you know, I'm sorry, but I think it was just a misunderstanding. Um, And like, I hope we can be friends again. Uh, This was not a misunderstanding. He straight up felt my hips, waist, like caressed my body. And then when I asked him to stop, he did it again. It, It was so shocking. I guess I just want to know if it's okay if I can move forward with continually telling this guy to fuck off and that he's a sexist, disgusting pig and that I never want to see his fucking face again. So I don't know. My friends are all pretty much behind me. My husband's behind me, but he's also a little like concerned because he works with this guy and he doesn't, you know, want it to be like this big drama thing, but he's pretty pissed off too. So I don't know if you have any advice, I'd appreciate it. Your friends are behind you. Your husband's behind you qualified behind you and your sex advice professional is behind you as well. You don't have to make up with this guy. You can cut him the fuck out of your life. You can tell him to fuck the fuck off forever and have nothing to do with him or his girlfriend ever again. You have my backing. Hi, Dan, a 33 year old female here. I've been married to my husband for two years together for five. Um, I have always had a fairly low libido, um, especially once relationships get to their comfortable stage I also experience no spontaneous sex drive. I only feel turned on in a responsive sense. Uh, So my husband is nearly always the one to initiate sex. Uh, My husband has a fairly high libido. 
we've found some ways around that. And overall, I'd say our sex life is doing okay. It's perfect for me. Okay for him. We've talked and I know he's not miserable with how things are. He really enjoys the sex we do have. He's happy in our relationship in general, but he definitely wishes we had sex more often or that I would ever initiate sex. We've often discussed opening our relationship up at some point, and I'm thinking that now might be the time to start. I'm unsure how to roll this out, and I'm hoping you can help. I know that when people are considering watching their partner with someone else sexually, you often suggest that they start just by watching their partner dance or kiss someone else at a bar or a public place. Do you have any similar suggestions for a more DADT situation? My husband does travel occasionally for work, and I'd like to give him the green light to sleep with someone on a trip like that and just not tell me. Is there a smaller gesture that I could maybe try out, something less than just go have sex with someone and we'll hope it's okay? Um, or do I just plunge in and tell him, go ahead, sleep with someone else, and then after his first trip, kind of check in with myself about whether that still feels okay? Um, what if my curiosity is killing me after that first trip? Can I ask him if something happened? Should we establish beforehand whether or not he should answer that honestly? What if he's about to go on the trip and then I have second thoughts about allowing him to do that? To potentially complicate things, I think I might be turned on by hearing about his sexual adventures with someone else. When we are having sex, I do get turned on thinking about him being with other women. But... Of course, it's one thing to fantasize, and it's another to hear about something actually having happened in reality. Uh, is the best course of action here to roll this out as a DADT and several months in, kind of ask, ask him about it and see how that goes? Uh, last thing, is it fair for me to request that he never talk to or interact with his hookups after they occur, uh, that each one is just one and done? So you open by saying that once you reach the comfortable stage in relationship, your libido tanks. And toward the end of your call, you mentioned that, you know, after stressing out about your husband potentially slipping with other women when he's away on business trips and expressing how uncomfortable you are with that idea, you mention offhandedly quickly that you are turned on by the thought of him having sex with someone else. So to me, that seems like your erotic imagination, your subconscious is attempting to solve the problem that you open with reaching the comfortable stage of the relationship and your libido tanking by discomforting yourself, by putting yourself in this situation that creates a lot of anxiety, but erotic anxiety. That's where you start with your husband. You talk with him about the fact that the thought of him being with another woman and you're not giving him permission to go off and be with anybody else right now, but the thought of it turns you on. And so you want to explore that through fantasy, through role play. You want to hear dirty talk during sex from him about other women that he's been with or other women that he might like to be with and see how that makes you feel. See how those stories make you feel. And if they spark your reactive desire, well, then you can take baby steps toward him actually having that permission from you to sleep with somebody else and come home with a new and sexy story, a new and sexy story that he will share with you when you are in a place where you feel emotionally secure to hear it, which means you don't want to hear immediately from him. You don't want to telegram you know, two minutes after he sleeps with somebody else on a business trip. But if you guys are together and you're feeling good and you're feeling connected and sexy, maybe if you're having sex at those moments, you can ask him to share with you if something else has happened recently on one of his business trips. But before you get there, explore this in fantasy. 
explore this with your husband in dirty talk. And those baby steps, you know, seeing him make out with somebody else, going to a bar and watching him interact with other people, I think that you should do those. Even if ultimately one of the controls on, you know, your open relationship or the limits of the open relationship, and I think those kinds of controls are good, is that this happens only when he's away, only when he's away on a business trip, not in the city where you live, so that that is a constraint. It's going to limit his opportunities. Even if you lay out those conditions, and again, those are reasonable conditions, you're going to want to gauge your reaction to the reality of him being with someone else by seeing him with somebody else in an environment at a moment where he can't fully be with that other person. So yeah, go out to a bar and watch him maybe dance with another woman or make out with another woman that he's honest with, that he's not available except for what happens in this bar tonight and see how you feel. And if it inflames your reactive desire, if you feel good about it, well, then maybe you can explore allowing him to sleep with other people on these business trips. You need to adjust your expectations about what a man away on a business trip is capable of. And finally, you seem to think that your husband could just go away on a business trip and pussy's going to land in his lap. Maybe your husband is gorgeous. Maybe that's been his experience in the past, but that seems unlikely. So your anxieties about whenever he's out of your sight, whenever he's on a business trip in future, if he has this permission, he's just going to be swimming in pussy seems a little irrational. I can't imagine this will happen for him instantly or constantly. And insisting on it being one and done and there being no contact with someone in the future, a lot of people have that restriction. Easier for gay male open couples to have that restriction because you can just get on Grinder and you can find somebody who wants to be a one and done. Harder for straight men to honor that condition because women require often and reasonably some evidence that the guy that they're thinking about hooking up with on that business trip or wherever else is a good and decent person because so many women find themselves in bed with guys who are not good and decent people who are a risk and a danger to them. So your husband may have to do some advance work contacting women on apps or wherever else in advance of a business trip unless he wants to hire a woman on a business trip so that he actually can have sex with somebody else by proving to this other person, this woman, that he's a safe guy to have this one-time experience with. And I think just where I come from on this, one and done is a little cold. Nobody wants to feel like a Kleenex or a, or a dirty tube sock after sex. And if he goes away on a business trip and, and connects with somebody and there's some affection there, well, maybe that's a good person for him to connect with in future and not a higher risk person for him to connect with in future. You know, he has no interest in running off with this person, but someone he can connect with in future who knows that he's trustworthy and that he knows that he has a, a good sexual connection with and he can come home and torment you with the story when you want to be tormented. Hello, Dan, MC, and Techies. I'm a middle, mid-30s male, probably straight, from the U.S., but I've lived overseas for more than a decade. I am very much a kinkster into rope and leather BDSM, and the scene in this country has been very much in the closeted shadows, but in the last few years, it's starting to become open, and there's starting to be some FM bars and clubs and some rope schools that just weren't there even a year and a half ago. This is good. This is fun. 
I am married. I do have friends who are expat kinksters and who are local kinksters, but I don't know a ton of the foreigners because it's kind of a revolving door. Every few years, people leave, just they don't stay here for that that long. So at one of the rope schools, I started becoming platonic friends with uh, one of the female locals. And as you know, the months have gone by, and she's good friends with my wife as well. Like none of this is questionable in that sense. As the months have gone by, um, she's now started to confide in me that she is not just a bunny, but a masochist as well. And she told me a few nights ago that she has a deep interest, not just for me to help her get a foreign dom, which she's asked me a few times, but she really wants to fulfill a fantasy, which is her in a hotel room blindfolded, not know who the person is. Simply the door opens, a male comes in, he's sadistic, she's masochistic. When they're done, he leaves her there. She's blind for the whole the whole time. No names, no contact info, nothing. And she wants me to help fulfill this fantasy. And this is troubling because it was very, very unsafe, as that's what I told her. And I don't know any male doms that are single that would that I know well enough to recommend. So I told her that the safest thing to do would basically have someone who to be her lifeguard, bodyguard, security, that, yeah, I can help find some expats to do this to her, but I would need to stay in the room basically the entire time. And if she says the safe word, I need to make sure that's respected, common rules are respected, that kind of a thing. I really want to get some feedback as to if I made the correct call on this, if I missed stuff, if I should say other stuff. You have two options here. You can find the Dom. You could be the Dom. If she's going to be blindfolded the whole time, you could be the Dom that you found to dominate her in this BDSM sadist masochist scene. But this is something that actually you could set up for her because while the Dom would be anonymous, while she wouldn't know who this person was, you would know who this person was and you could set a high bar. There will be guys out there. There will be doms and sadists who would very much get off on this kind of anonymous scene where the person that they're playing with, the person that they're dominating, the person that they can inflict a certain amount of pre-negotiated pain upon is anonymous to them and they're anonymous to that person. They will never know their name and vice versa, but they will have to know your name and you will have to know their name. You're the bar that they have to clear to have this experience that they would also like to have, just as this is a fantasy for your friend, this will be a fantasy scenario and a very desirable one for the lid to her pot, for the right sadist for her scene. So you can make demands. You're not sending someone in there whose name you don't know. You're not sending someone in there who whose phone number you don't have. You're not sending someone in there that can't be held accountable. You can hold them accountable. You can also be right outside the door. Someone's going to have to show the dom to the room where the blindfolded woman is waiting for him. Someone's going to have to give the dom the card key that gets him into the room that someone would be you. Now, the scene isn't ever going to be 100% safe, but vanilla sex with someone that you just met isn't always 100% safe 
either. Vanilla sex with somebody that you know and know well isn't always 100% safe either. But you can take steps to mitigate the risk to fulfill this varsity level BDSM kink fantasy for your friend if that's what you want to do. You're not just putting her location on the internet and inviting anybody into her hotel room to use her. What she's asking you to do is find somebody and you screen that person. You determine whether this person can be trusted to to stay within the guardrails, to only do those things that she would like done and do them safely and for you to keep this person's contact information and for you to show this person to the room and for you with another key to the room to hang out outside the room, hang out nearby while this is going down. All that said, if you are not comfortable setting this up for her, you are not obligated to set this up for her. All right, before we get to your response calls, let's read the tweets. WP Schlitz tweets, Hey, Savage Lovecast, can we agree that people should specify their kink? I understand it's usually in reference to BDSM, but there's a zillion kinks and just saying you're kinky isn't helpful at all. Like that call on this week's show with the pregnant lady who wanted to continue to participate in kinky sex. Is that handcuffs and spanking or breath play and full body rubber suits? It makes a difference. Please be specific callers. I completely agree with WP Schlitz. When you mention your kink, if it's a kink related question, please, please specify your kink. It matters. Babylon Leather knows how I love my neologisms. Babylon Leather tweets, fun new term for bisexuals, ambisextress. Hashtag Savage Lovecast. Endorsed, I'm endorsing ambisextress. Just jealous I didn't think of it myself. And Sadie Brinton tweets, lucky to be part of a family that doesn't argue at the Thanksgiving dinner table, but did have to kick off the weekend by explaining the difference between polygamy and polyamory. At breakfast, grandparents were directed to Savage Lovecast and Fake Dan Savage. I'd like to extend a personal welcome to our newest listeners, Sadie Brinton's grandparents. If you'd like me to read your tweet on a future episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the hashtag Savage Lovecast. And now your response calls. Hi, Dan. This is a response call to the woman that feels like maybe she might have, you know, had a Me Too moment with that woman back in college and is thinking about reaching out to her. And I just want to maybe share one of my experiences. It was with a boy back in high school, and we went to the movies, and we were kissing, and he made a move on me, and I was actually on my period and had a tampon in and kind of, like, asked him to stop, and he felt really, really bad, and I was too young to explain what I was going through and why it made me uncomfortable, and so he just felt really bad, and he reached out to me, actually, about a month ago, and he felt like he had assaulted me, and I explained to him that that's not how I felt, and I'm so sorry that you felt like you did that to me. And I don't know if that's how she feels, of course. It sounds like she might have felt a lot more uncomfortable. But to have him reach out to me, and like you said, to show that he does care and does feel bad about his action, it really gave me a lot of closure for an event that I was just confused about. So maybe reaching out to her just to text or something, letting her know that like you had no malicious intent and that you do feel bad, maybe it would help her out. This is in response to the caller on the last episode that said she's having trouble with dirty talk um, in bed. Girl, do not listen to Dan. That was bad advice. You know what you should do? Put on some Cardi B, some Nicki Minaj. Listen to some female rappers that use like words like my pussy and just rap along to the lyrics and have fun with it. Like just do it in the car by yourself or have some drinks at home by yourself. Rap along to the lyrics. Feel yourself. Get used to hearing yourself say it. Get cute with it. 
But I promise you're going to feel a lot more confident. Just give it a try. All right, we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to give us a call, record a question or a comment, 206-302-2064. You can also use the Voice Memo app on your phone. It's a higher quality recording. It makes for better listening. If you have the Voice Memo app on your phone, and you do, please use it and then email us your question at voicemail at savagelovecast.com. You can give the gift of the Magnum edition of the Savage Lovecast, twice as much Savage Lovecast, no ads, more guests, by going to savagelovecast.com and clicking on gift. If you want your beloved to receive the Savage Lovecast Magnum gift on Christmas Day, then you'll have to go to the website on Christmas Day and order it for them. Then the gift arrives as soon as you purchase it. If you like my political rants at the top of the show or when I work them in all over the show, you will love me on Blabbermouth, the Strangers Weekly News and Politics podcast hosted by Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Eli Sanders. Join me and Eli and Rich and Katie and Jasmine and Chase and Christopher and Lester and the whole gang for Blabbermouth every week, every Wednesday. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian. And me and the tech-savvy at-risk youth and Nancy, we'll all be back at you next week with an installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for coming.